In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13. This chapter unveils the story of Amnon, David's firstborn, and his vile obsession with his half-sister Tamar. Aided by his crafty friend Jonadab, Amnon orchestrates a disturbing scheme that leads to Tamar's ruin and disgrace. The aftermath stirs up a store of anger and revenge within Absalom, Tamar's full brother, setting in motion a chain of events that will shake David's kingdom to its core. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy strong word is made possible in part by a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Whether it's a catechism, a hymnal, a Bible storybook, or a devotional, LHF provides resources free of charge to pastors, missionaries, and lay people who need them. LHF translates, publishes, and distributes Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based, Christ-centered, and Reformation-driven. To learn more about LHF and how you can partner with them in this vital mission work, visit their website at lhfmissions.org. Again, that's lhfmissions.org. Well, folks, this morning, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us divide, discern, and explore 2 Samuel chapter 13. It's the Reverend Glenn Roseman. He's the pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Franklin, North Carolina. Pastor Roseman, good morning, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning to you, Pastor Phil. Well, it's great to have you on the program. This is your first time on Thy Strong Word, and as is customary, I always like to ask you to introduce yourself um, for my sake and also for those who are listening at home. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how God is working through you there and the saints of uh, Resurrection Lutheran. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, greetings from the beautiful Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. So, uh, uh, yes, I've been the pastor here at Resurrection since January of this year, and uh, it's been quite a whirlwind for our family. Uh, had several weddings and uh, moving and uh, re- uh, all kinds of things going on. So uh, uh, we're all kind of getting used to one another and... Uh, uh, it's going quite well. I mean, how could things not go well in these beautiful mountains up here? So uh, <laughs> I appreciate you giving me a chance to introduce myself, and uh, appreciate you letting me be on the program. Well, sure. Well, no, gosh, I'm happy to have you. It's been a long time. For those who don't know, full disclaimer, Pastor Roseman is the new pastor at my father's congregation. He goes to church down there. Um, I, I never did. My home church is in Clyde, North Carolina, but Franklin's just over the hill from where I was. Um, it's certainly nice to have you on. Kind of like me, though, you are not a lifelong pastor. You had a career before you were a pastor. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to the pastoral ministry. Yes, that's one of those situations where uh, I'll try to keep it short, but uh, long story short, uh, uh, had kind of been uh, running away from uh, working uh, as a pastor or in the church in that type of, of uh, format, kind of had my own plans, and Oh, gee whiz, we've heard that somewhere in the Bible where folks had their own plans for life. And so uh, I was in the criminal justice system for many years uh, and here later a teacher at a community college. And so uh, nevertheless, during the course of that uh, journey, 
um, I saw a uh, note in our church bulletin where I was a member at Christ Lutheran in Hickory uh, about delay ministry program in Mequon, Wisconsin. So uh, long story short, for about four and a half years, worked through that program. And they um, would fly a professor down about once a weekend to Bethel Lutheran and Catfish or Claremont, North Carolina. And we did uh, intensive work over the weekends and did all kinds of distance stuff. Uh, so uh, I, I uh, completed that and then uh, took some other courses, was colloquized uh, uh, through St. Louis. And uh, actually, since we'd had some shortages, been filling in here and there at some smaller congregations. And uh, uh, it was quite a privilege. It's one of those things where I wish I had 25 years back, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, I hear so you, here I am. So, uh, uh, yep. Um, so uh, have served at St. Luke's Lutheran in Lincoln to North Carolina. Uh, and now here at Resurrection. I'm a lifelong resident of North Carolina, and I'm sure your listeners couldn't tell that, but uh, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and tell you. But, yeah, my, my path is not the typical path. So uh, uh, every day is a journey and a learning experience. But I'll tell you, Pastor Phil, what a privilege it is uh, to be uh, working in the church. It's, it's just a wonderful privilege and meet so many folks and uh, learn so much. And so just what a privilege to be here. So thanks for giving me a chance to introduce myself. Well, I'm glad that God brought you uh, to this point and to our lesson today. In fact, it, you might take some of your criminal justice background and help us make sense of the horrible, egregious things that happen in this chapter. Really, sin is on its fullest display here. We just see the depravity of sin and how one person's lustful offense can actually trickle down into a family, even a kingdom. It's amazing how pervasive the penalties of sin go. Before we dive into our text, though, it'd be a good idea for us to start off our time together in prayer. And brother, as my guest, I'd like to invite you to lead us in that prayer, please. Yes, let's do that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the uh, freedom to uh, worship you across this nation, uh, and especially today to broadcast uh, as we are. Uh, open our hearts and minds and those of our listeners as we uh, look at some of the events uh, in your holy word that weren't so uh, that weren't so uh, nice, I guess I should say. So, uh, but nevertheless, you have been present throughout these and other incidences and occurrences. So, we just turn to you, Lord, today and uh, ask your blessing on our time together and those of your listeners that even in the bad situations that you are still at work and that your will be done. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, we are told about this event on the heels of, well, I guess the author of Second Samuel telling us about how Nathan had approached David and accused him in a pretty sly way of sinning against God because of what he had done with Bathsheba and, of course, to Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. It led to the death of his first child and then, of course, the birth of Solomon, where really David and Bathsheba are finally, and probably in a more proper way, now united to one another. Lots of stuff going on, but that's the context in which we now move into this horrible thing. It seems like, as I said before, we have sin on the agenda, and, and the sins continue to compound upon one another. Uh, anything that you would like to say to set the stage for our text for today? Maybe if people missed yesterday, or just anything in the greater context that you think would be important for us to understand as we move into our reading for today. 
Well, despite David's greatness and certainly prominent figure in the Bible, uh, this sin is uh, a result in uh, part and parcel of his activities with Bathsheba, as you've already mentioned, and and then um, his being called out by Nathan. So you're seeing sort of a generational, uh, I mean, we'll go all the way back to Adam and Eve if you'd like, but, but, but to set a, a more recent context, we've got the We've got the sins of David, if you will, and, and his transgressions and, and, uh, and behaviors and actions and how that affects subsequent generations. Uh, one would wonder why would Christ even be a part of this Davidic line with such, uh, I mean, this, this ain't the Brady Bunch. You know, this is, a, this is a lot of bad stuff going on, as you mentioned. And so it's one of those situations where, uh, uh, you know, we, we look to David as a great man through whom God worked. But nevertheless, he was a man, and and so his sins are now uh, being carried through, despite uh, despite uh, uh, you know his best efforts, I guess, or lack thereof. Absolutely. Let's read the first, just just the first two verses, and I think we'll get a sense of what our subject's going to be about today. I'm going to be reading chapter thirteen, uh, verses one and two from the English Standard Version. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Now, I'm going to pause there kind of early on, but we, we get the sense of some impending problems. We have uh, Absalom... David's son, he's going to play a big role in the chapters to come, uh, but he has this full sister, his beautiful sister Tamar, uh, and then we have Amnon, David's first son, and it says he loved her, and now he's making himself ill because he, I guess he wants to do things to her. Uh, brother, I, I, how do you explain this? This is family. What's going on here? Well, I, I, I like to look for key words, uh, beautiful uh, you're, we see the term beautiful. We see the term uh, virgin. So there's there's this sense that, uh, of course, there's that undergirding unhealthy lust. But uh, this apparently was a very beautiful and attractive woman. And so uh, uh, with when you've got lust in the heart, uh, whether or not that's your sister or half-sister or family, uh, becomes irrelevant because that, that pervasive lust and evil comes out, and uh, it overcomes any type of uh, in this case, a familial relationship. Yeah, that's something else, isn't it? I mean, I, th I think it's worth noting that historically, half-sibling marriages actually weren't very uncommon in royal families. Um, so this is something that you would have seen amongst the the kingdoms of the of the nations that surrounded Israel. It's something you would see well into Europe. Um, but in this case, you know, this is something that was his feelings were specifically in violation of Israelite law. God's people were to be set apart from the other nations. So we see here David's family is kind of, I guess, going away from the law that God had established for them. And really, if we think about it, if we think of it in context of Jesus's own words in Matthew 5, 28, you know, you, you talked about the, the lust in the heart. Well, he's already in violation of that law just by his own feelings and the fact that he wants to act on them. But I think it's worth noting that this isn't completely 
the the idea that they could get married is not completely out of line with sort of pagan cultures. So one of the things we see here, in addition to him just acting shamefully, but he's also acting like those nations around him, which God wanted them to avoid. Indeed, indeed, that's the case. And uh, there could have been marriages of convenience uh, or politics or uh, strategic uh, importance. But but this seems to be at the root of it, uh, uh, just a lust, an evil. I, I think there's nothing good that's going to come. There's no uh, and we see later as it's borne out, not to get ahead, that that's exactly what happens. Nothing really good comes of any of this. Well, let's see what comes next anyway. Verse 3, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said to him, well, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Pausing at the end of six there. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. We get introduced right away to what you already pointed out is just uh, this this wicked, evil lust that he has for his half sister, and then it tells us Amnon has a friend. He has a buddy named Jonadab, his cousin, and Jonadab is very crafty, and he asks him what's going on, and he says, "Oh, I, I love my half sister." <laughs> Wouldn't we expect Jonadab to be like, "Oh, brother, that's not right. That's not right." But he doesn't. He tries. He tries to help him out. I mean, what are friends for, right? But my goodness, uh, I guess the sins continue to compound. Uh, take us a little bit through this. What's significant about this passage? Well, again, the term love. I love Tamar, my brother Absalom. There's no love here at all, at least in the sense of the uh, Christian or Christ-like love that we would think of. Uh, this would be more of eros, I think, the more of the erotic or the lustful love. And this uh, Jonadab character, who knows what his motivations are? Uh, he's, uh, I think, one translation says he's shrewd. You know, and I was thinking of uh, the shrewd manager when he figured out that uh, you know he was going to get fired. I guess he went and settled with all of the uh, master's uh, business people. Uh, uh, another interesting thing is is that uh, Tamar would have likely been pretty. Uh, from what I understand, she would have been secluded. Having been part of the royal family, she wasn't real free to move about, wore special clothing. So to get her out of that setting into uh, uh, Amnon's uh, house, if you will, which they may have had their own homes, these, these men, uh, or places to live, to get her out of there, that took a lot of work. And so uh, there's just a lot of scheming uh, that's going on here. Uh, and, it's to, and it's for no good. It's for no good. You brought up a couple of words here, love. The Hebrew, of course, is ahav, right? It's just sort of their generic word for love here. I'd be interested in knowing what the Septuagint uses to translate that. I don't have it uh, at my hand here. I'm kind Neither of glancing over. Yeah, um, I yeah, still don't have it. I thought I had it there for a second. But anyway, but the other word, too, you said, uh, you know, 
this shrewd, this description of him being shrewd. Well, the word there is the word, the Hebrew word for wise. It actually is what's used of the serpent in the garden. Uh, so, you know, I guess whether or not the translator is going to say wise or crafty is dependent upon the context. But isn't that interesting? It, it, I think it demonstrates to us that the wisdom we receive from God can be used in at least two different ways, right? You can be wise unto the Lord, or you can be crafty. Um, and so that's where we see this craftiness coming in. So I think Jonadab is crafty. That's telling us not only is the advice he's going to be giving uh, Amnon going to be suspect, but I think even his motivation, like why does he care about oh, Amnon's conquests here? And I think part of that is because, well, he's probably trying to get something for himself. You know, it's always important for us to keep looking at, like, what are the motivations behind the people in the events here? But I'm with you there about the love, Tamar. This isn't true love, even though that's the way he may be describing it. Also, another important for, thing for us to remember, right, is, is when we say we love things out in the world, are we loving them with a godly love? Or are we lusting after them, whether they be people or things, really? And, and so it kind of goes along with the idea of wise. Either we're wise or crafty. And the difference between the unbeliever and the believer, or the faithful and the unfaithful, is whether or not we subject our human wisdom, our human love, to God's word or not. And, and I think that's what we're seeing here, is they are absolutely not. Indeed, it love is being used, manipulated, uh, and in actually, uh, ultimately, evil ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's keep on going with the story. Let's see what happens next. So we, we, we've heard the plan. Amnon's going to lay down. He's going to pretend to be sick. He's going to call the king, and then when the king's finally concerned for him, he's going to ask, and the king's, of course, David, and he's going to ask, just let my sister Tamar come and, and make these cakes in my sight. Verse 7. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and she kneaded it and she made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her. And he said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing for me. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. We're going to pause right there at that horrible moment in verse 14. So he has put his plan into action um, David is unwittingly a part of course. Uh, you know, I wonder, this is pure speculation, brother. I'd like to hear what your thought. If he's so open about this lust slash love for his sister Tamar, do you think the king would have been aware of this, or is he too busy? 
Uh, I don't know about this. Uh, I know he had lots of wives, so that probably kept him busy. But uh, this is the royal household. <laughs> I'm busy with one wife. I'm sure you are too, and that's a good oh, thing. Yes. I'm not. Yeah, you may have to edit that out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we're yeah, live, so brother. <laughs> da- da- yeah, <laughs> too, I understand, David. That's okay. I'll, um, uh, David, being the king, uh, you know, uh, it's easy for plausible deniability. You know, we don't want the king to know. But if this went on. And even getting a little ahead when Absalom was plotting, you know, for two years to kill uh, Amnon. I mean, a lot of times pass, and how does a king not know about this lust? Uh, and how does a king not know about certain things in his own household? So, you know, I, I don't know. Who knows? Like you said, it's speculation. But I think it's interesting to note that we, we refer to, again, sight. Uh, he wanted to get to Tamar in her presence. Uh, so I'm wondering, my other question would be is, was it customary uh, for such requests to be made in the, uh, for the women of the royal house, you know, to be asked to go do something like this, you know, such as a simple task as feeding someone else? And, you know, would that be, you know, I would wonder if that would have raised a red flag. Or was that a common practice? Perhaps it was. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the senses, sight. You know, now he's in her presence. He sees her. He smells. He can touch. And, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, I, yeah, I just wonder, too, uh, Pastor Phil, if, if he would have known about that, because this was deep-seated. This wasn't I woke up one day and this is what I felt. This had been going on, we don't know how long, but surely a long time. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure he's made this known before. You talked about the cakes, and I'm, I'm thinking about that too. Um, only thing I can think of, and again, this is sort of speculation, but just sort of based on customs, normally they wouldn't send out, I believe, uh, one of the, the daughters of the king to do this kind of task. But I think there's a comfort here. Like if he's sick and he just wants to see uh, uh, Tamar, and even if David knew that there was something squirrely, you know, with his Amnon and his feelings toward Tamar, certainly he wouldn't have thought that he would have used an opportunity like this to do something so shameful. And, and secondly, if he's sick, and they think he's sick, he's not, but if they think he's sick, then they're also like, well, if that'll make him feel better, it's his favorite sister, uh, let her take him in there. Sure, um, sure. The, the, the two cakes, interestingly enough, you know, probably were infused with like healing herbs or some other sort of medicinal kind of thing. The Hebrew word for it is actually related to the word for heart. So they could have been like heart shaped or intending to benefit his heart or something like that. So maybe the fact that these were supposed to be kind of medicinal, they're, they're special cakes. It's not just like, oh, bring me something to eat. It's more like a chicken soup for the soul, right? Bring me this sure, so sure. that I can start getting to feel better. And, and perhaps, and again, we're, we don't want to go too far off the track, but maybe that's just something that she knew how to do. Perhaps even the reason why they came up with this scheme about him being sick. But regardless, sure. she says, you know, don't violate me. So she sees what's going on right away. I mean, and he calls her, and I think this is sort of the more horrific point. He calls her his sister. He says, come lie with me, my sister. And she's sure to say, my brother, do not violate me. Um, lots, of, lots of things going on. 
Yeah, and this is a grooming process. When she shows up, the site, uh, and then uh, this conversation, uh, you almost suggest she's kind of far away preparing. We'll come closer, you know. It seems to suggest this grooming process to get her closer and closer, and then, uh, you know, and then uh, then uh, the grabbing uh, and forcing himself. So, so, yeah, it's almost why it's interesting that you mentioned that about regarding, they even use that in their conversation, sister and brother. I wonder what the significance so that would be i mean they know who you know obviously they know who each other uh, are in their family but yet to say that out loud is that some hmm why would you you know well i don't know maybe that's not significant but anyway. well i know why she said it or at least i think yeah, i know right why she right, said right right um, right she she's wanting to remind him sure yeah, you're my brother uh, but but the white why he said it yeah and, and ag- yeah. again treating it delicately there might be something about this guy's you know, physiology or psychology here that that's part of the allure for him, which is certainly a sinful thing. Um, and so I, I think maybe that's just part of it. Uh, at the same time, it, it could also be demonstrating to us how sin has clouded even his best judgment. Um, he's sure. te- he's 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 uh, what do we call it? He's telegraphing what he's going to do. Come here, lie with me. And then he even says his sister, but it doesn't even stop him. She says, no, my brother, and it doesn't stop him. But mm-hmm. I love what she says because this recognizes that this is something that has happened in history. Unfortunately, it continues to happen, and it happened a lot in the kingdoms around them. She says, don't do it, not only because it's bad, but for such a thing is not done in Israel. Yeah. So we see the yeah. faith of Tamar here. I mean, Tamar's faith is solid, and she's like, I know what God permits, and this is absolutely not what God permits. She's appealing not even to his own morals, but appealing to their um, their special place as the people of God. Yeah, it refers to an outrageous fool in Israel. Don't be like one of those. Uh, uh, yeah, in addition, to her, in addition to her trying to save her own uh, uh, self there, which one would expect one to do in such a very difficult and dangerous situation. But uh, don't be one of them fools. You know, I think that she's getting desperate now, throwing out things like uh, uh, such as that and reminding him uh, of the bond that God has with the people, his people, and that uh, you know what you're you're really you know it's almost like shape him snap out of it what are you doing you you fool you know so anyway yep 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 but then he but then she makes a suggestion which might have startled us on the first reading what what does she say next yeah, yeah. Therefore, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, violate her and lay with her. So there's almost this plea toward the practice you're referring to uh, of the inner marriage, such as, I, I think, well, again, we're conjecture here, but given that very difficult and dangerous situation, I mean, well, I'm doing everything I can. I've got to survive, and if this ain't, you know, if this is going to happen, as you mentioned, he could be, he's obviously stronger. The Bible tells us this. He was stronger. Uh, so then what, what is she trying to do, appeal to some sense of, okay, uh, maybe we can work this out. You know, let's talk to the king first. You know, get me some time, get me out of here, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think she's biding for time, absolutely, yeah. for sure. I mean, both um, the attack is certainly against God's law. The incestuous relationship would be against law. This marriage, even if he were to talk to the king, would not have been allowed. It's all—you know, that is also not done in Israel— but yeah, she—you see her scrambling to to Absolutely. say, "Listen, uh, let's uh, let's let's 
you know, if you were just to ask for me, the king would give me to you, which is probably false. But, you know, she's doing whatever she can. Yeah, just to get the safety. Folks. Yeah, I got to yeah. get out of here. You know, because everyone's been sent out. I presume they locked the door there, and uh, so uh, she's saying things to get herself out of a very dangerous situation, and then let you know we'll deal with things when I'm in a safe situation, <laughs> you know, uh, and not here. So yeah, absolutely. I would never have thought for a moment she would ever want to go through with that type of arrangement. Rather, as you mentioned, she's buying time uh, to get out of there. It's dangerous, and I've got to get out of here to survive. So yeah. Well, we're going to see how it works out for her when we come back from our break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Roseman and I will keep on going through 2 Samuel 13. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Glenn Roseman, pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Franklin, North Carolina. Folks, thanks for sticking around this morning as we make our way through 2 Samuel 13. I hope you've been enjoying our conversation as much as I have. Before we get back to the topic at hand, I want to remind you that you're welcome to reach out to me anytime with your questions or comments. You can reach me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. If you're looking to take the show on the road, maybe catch up while in the car or on a long flight or even on vacation this summer, I recommend you look into subscribing to Thy Strong Word as a podcast. And if you're new to podcasting, one easy solution is the KFUO radio app. You can put it on your phone. You can listen to the station live or subscribe and listen on demand to many of KFUO's great programming. Coffee Hour, Sharper Iron, Concord Matters, Cross Defense, Lutheran Ladies Lounge, Wrestling with the Basics, and a lot more. You can also listen live or on demand at kfuo.org. So you're never far away from helpful hosts and knowledgeable guests looking to connect you to God's Word. All right, Pastor Roseman, we're, we're back in the thick of it all, and she's very upset. She says, do not, uh, do not do this thing, right? Such a thing is not done in Israel. I wanted to focus, before we moved on to the next section, with verse 13. It says, As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Uh, we kind of get the outrageous fool part, right? Because he's being outrageous and he's being foolish. But tell yes. us a little bit, why would she be carrying around the shame? Isn't she the victim? 
well in that society then uh, and in that setting, uh, that would be a situation where uh, there would be great shame placed on her. Uh, and especially being part of the house uh, of of King uh, David. And so uh, it's one of those situations where, um, uh, you know, in the society of the day, she's going to be the one that's going to be uh, uh, looked at uh, uh, shamefully, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there were, even among the the Levites or the priests, he could— have wives, but he couldn't have wives um, that had certain <laughs> certain uh, things happen to them, this being one of them, or if they were a prostitute, or a variety of other things. Uh, so something like virginity was held in a very a high, I guess, a high regard, and, and it was a, a, pr- a precious possession for the woman, especially with her social status. So there's a lot of shame, even though I don't think people are going to no, – no one's blaming her. There's still a great shame in the violation that's happening. Um, yeah, and, and she and even wore special clothes as a virgin, you know, of the house. Right. Yeah, she had special clothes on. Uh, and so uh, – and I'm, I was hearkening back to how easy it would have been perhaps uh, maybe to uh, issue uh, certificates of divorce or how easy it was for – you know, it seemed to be in that situation uh, uh, perhaps that uh, uh, the practice would have been that uh, even though it wasn't her fault, she would have to uh, bear the bear the brunt of having been a victim and not being seen as a victim but rather just someone who's no longer a virgin and here you are and this is how we treat you kind of thing, yeah. Right. I mean, you just said her special clothes. Well, she would now be literally wearing clothes without a husband, letting everybody know that something has happened. And and now she's going to put ash on her head. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to put ash on her head later here and wear black, I think. I read that there. But anyway, I'm getting ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we're going to get into that actually right this very moment, because what I find really fascinating here is the like the light switch kind of action of the emotions of Amnon. Because he loves her. He lusts after her. He attacks her. He engages with her. And now in verse 15, then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong, and sending me away is greater than the other thing you did to me. But he would not listen to her. So he called the young men who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe she wore. She laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Uh, Pausing there, the end of verse 19. So it goes immediately from laying with her to hating her with a great hatred, so that the hatred with she hate her. Oh my gosh, hatred is mentioned over and over and over and over again, which we know in Hebrew is certainly an emphasis of the great um, horrible feelings that he has now for her. Yeah, and as you see, I was circling hated, very great hatred, 
hatred. Like you said, it's been repeated. The same, see, the source is evil. Uh, the lust, you know, we use that word love, and I guess you could, but the lust is the source. What is the source? Evil. Now this hatred. This hatred is evil. And, uh, and so, uh, and so uh, you mentioned the light switch. It's just, and it says it's even greater hatred than which he had loved her. And, and that ought to tell you that's the source of it, this evil, this uh, it's the, uh, this despicable evil that's just pouring out of the sinful heart. Um, uh, it, it, w- it would stand to reason that the hatred would be greater than the love because the source is evil, and evil loves hatred. So, <laughs> Right. Well, and, and yeah, and it, he just has this revulsion for her. Suddenly his love has turned to contempt, even though he's the he's the offender. I guess there's part of him that now her and I'm sure she wasn't happy about the situation for sure. She must have been visibly distraught and upset over what had happened. And so he looks at her and he sees that distress. He sees the consequences of her action. Maybe for the first time he sees her as a person as instead of an object. And and now he just is revolted. But I think his hatred of her, in part, is really just a reflection of the hatred of what he has done. Not to the point of repentance, obviously, but certainly he doesn't want to confront the great evil that he has done. So he just sends her out of his out of his midst. And she's and that's, that's, that's when you yeah go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, that, that's interesting that you mentioned that, that now that he's committed wrong, that there's some sense of conviction or guilt, so that now uh, the hatred for which uh, he hates himself is being projected on her. That's interesting. That's very interesting, because she may have even sustained physical injuries. Uh, you know, we gloss over these words, lay with her, and I think some translations, you know, he knew her. Uh, the word knew generally would mean in an intimate way, uh, and so uh, we gloss over that, but I mean, there could have been physical injuries, you know, uh, uh, lots of things going on here, the emotional, and and uh, to suggest that maybe he, that's interesting, I never thought of that. Yeah, and, and, and of course her grief is on display too, because as you pointed out earlier, she has a special outfit that designates her as a, in the, of course in the king's house anyway, as a virgin, she tears it, she rips it, as she rends her garment, as we might say, and, and then she puts ashes on her head. I she's going away crying. It's just such a miserable thing. I think it's good for us to reflect on, even though this is a story that you're not exactly reading to your kids at bedtime, but at the same time, it's included in the scriptures for our for our edification. Look at the consequences of sin. Even Amnon, whose whose I guess actions were out of this this great and egregious um, behavior just out of this sort of wickedness within him, spurred on by the craftiness of his of his cousin, of his buddy. But look how it's affected him. Look how it's affected her. We're getting ready to see how it's going to affect Absalom, and we're going to see how it's going to affect David. And, of course, Absalom and David have their own history that now really flows from this single event. One, Yeah, and the base—I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't mean that. I thought there's a slight delay. Uh, listen, they uh, these base. What happens is all of our, uh, you know, we're intelligent, right? We're we're, uh, uh, you know, God has made us special and and uh, in His image, and and we're intelligent and we're complicated and intellectual, and we see here the basest of animalistic instincts, and that is uh, lust. Uh, and then, on the other hand, uh, extreme hatred. It, it just strips down to the basis, if you want to look at it from a physiological uh, standpoint, as well as you pointed out the spiritual. So we've got a lot of things going on here with this. 
I wonder where she went. Uh, we talk about mm-hmm. Absalom and whatnot, but uh, did, did, did it? Did uh, I, I just don't see where uh, where Tam- Where would she have gone if she she could? Would she have been able to go back to uh, ever go back to the to the house again? I wonder. Yeah, I mean, she's probably finding her own consolation within. I'm sure she has some servants of her own. I'm sure she has. Uh, she might. Who knows where she went to? You know, obviously, she 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 might have been a little bit segregated, but she would have certainly known people. And I, I assume she's either by herself suffering this alone, which is tragic, also, or she's trying to find some comfort in people. But then they're also going to not want to be associated with the shame of the event. And, sure. and, and shame. Go ahead. I think. Well, I think it's worth saying at this point, though, that even today, anytime we talk about such a sem- sensitive subject, I think it's worth reminding people that there is shame even today when people, unfortunately, are the victims of such an attack. Uh, and it doesn't ha- whether it's family, which is actually far more common than one would like to admit, or whether it's strangers. But you know, if you are experiencing something like this, then you should understand that any shame that you feel is it should not prevent you from seeking justice, from reaching out, um, from going to the authorities. And certainly it should never make you think that God uh, has in any way abandoned you. And I just want to just say that out out there for anybody who might be um, this might for, for whom this might be bringing up some bad memories. Right, right. There are resources available and people who are willing and loving and compassionate that can and are trained to help with these tragedies. Uh, I know eventually she ends up with Absalom at his house to stay, but I just wondered right away in the in the heat of the moment where she would have gone because uh, of the shock and the injury, I'm sure, and, and just the... Mm-hmm. the the, the sheer the term violated, you know, is very strong. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and but we also see here, you know, sin in all its horror, right? A moment's gratification of sexual desire is bringing down an entire household into this, you know, this sorrowful state. And so she went um, and I guess she runs into Absalom, her brother, because that's what happens next. Verse 20. And her brother Absalom said to her. Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. So uh, stopping there at the end of 22, it seems like Absalom is keeping his peace. I don't know about you, brother, but if you've ever been so upset that you just couldn't say anything, that's, I think, where where he's living. Uh, and David's very upset, too. But why do you figure David doesn't take action? I mean, I don't know that we're told, but why do you think David doesn't take action? Is it is it because he's reflecting on Bathsheba, maybe? Well, who knows? I'll tell you. Now, hold your peace, my sister. Uh, maybe there's a suggestion of in many uh, families, the initial response is don't tell anybody. Uh, keep this a secret. We'll take care of it in-house. Uh, and she had mentioned shame, you know, that's going to be brought to her. Well, that's going to be shame brought to the family. And uh, it's one thing to sacrifice one person, sadly, who's been victimized. 
uh, you know, as far as the shame goes, well, we'll just hide them somewhere and, and nobody talk about it. But, uh, you know, one wonders is this keep your peace. Uh, do not take this to heart. Is okay, it's going to be all right. Just be quiet. Don't tell anybody. Go to my house. Uh, go to my place. Uh, we'll handle this. Um, maybe even David is thinking about his indiscretions with Bathsheba and say, well, how can I hold anybody accountable to anything when I myself am not accountable to any, not even to God? Uh, Nathan called me out. Uh, yeah, okay, I've, I've uh, tried to uh, repent and turn, turn away, but uh, uh, there's probably, you know, a parent parental guilt maybe. Who knows? Uh, you know, we don't know the mind and heart God does, but uh, there, there is uh, reality in that, uh, sadly, when people are victimized, there's that initial response by a family. Don't tell anybody. It makes us look bad. I'm a bad parent. Uh, you know, uh, and you don't want people thinking badly of you, do you? You know, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's a very wicked and devastating cycle uh, when a person is victimized in this way. And, you know, set aside kingship or whatever, uh, there's always that knee jerk. We've got to protect the family and you're going to take the hit. Who knows? Maybe that's what's going on. That definitely sounds extremely plausible. I mean, when he says, now hold your peace, as you say, just let's just keep quiet. He's your brother. Don't take it to heart. What a horror. Uh, so let's assume you said, where did she go? Well, let's assume wherever she stopped along the way, she was running to her brother Absalom. And so he, she finds her. We know that you know she finds him, rather. And we know that in verse 20. And he says to her, is it is it Amnon? Did Amnon do it? Well, just keep quiet. He's your brother. Don't. Don't take it to heart. I, I, part of me also thinks, because I know what happens next, that he, he could also be having the connotation of, and you said it, we're going to handle this in-house. And he's probably saying, don't you worry about it. This is We're going to take care of this. But then verse 21, King David hears of it. He was angry. But then we don't have any more about what his response was. Um, we know that Absalom, of course, does not like David. David was also deceived in this whole sick ordeal, but David doesn't do anything about it. Um, we do have some evidence from the fragments uh, found within the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a little bit of additional information. Um, it's not found in any of the major Hebrew uh, variants, but we, we certainly find it amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it just adds the phrase, and here's the phrase, but David would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, or he was his firstborn. Now, wh whether or not that explains it, or whether it's a, a scribe who later was trying to explain it, saying, oh, wow, this sort of doesn't explain why I'm going to add this obvious thing in, I don't know. But it's worth letting you guys know. And I, I think that's probably just as probable. You know, David is protecting his firstborn too, right? Sin begets sin. Um, and but, but Absalom, he's having nothing to do with anybody. He's stewing about it. He has his own plans. Yeah, and what about Tamar? I mean, <laughs> uh, what about uh, we don't see any uh, love or any compassion for her, which is interesting. It's not recorded. We don't know what he had or knew, but uh, but yeah, um, there seems to be the emphasis on his anger with the yeah, process. Yeah, she lives yeah. as a desolate woman, meaning yeah. yep. she didn't have any kids, never got married. And, yep. and, um, and Absalom's just taking care of her, which is certainly his duty. But you're absolutely right. You know, what, who's thinking about her? Well, let's uh, let's keep on going now with verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. 
Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. But he pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. And Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. All right, pausing there at 29. So he stews on it for a while, man. He's he's plotting for two whole years, this Absalom. And if we if we read the other verse uh, uh, pretty strictly, he's really not talking to people. He's just stewing on it for years and years um, before he takes any action. Uh, tell us about the action he takes. What do you think his plans are? Well, uh, just as the lust was planted in Amnon's heart, and we don't know how long, but that probably stewed and festered. Now we've got this uh, this uh, hatred, and so there's this plotting, there's this scheming. I mean, two years? Can you imagine carrying hatred and resentment and revenge for two years? That really adds to the statement, you know, revenge is best is a dish uh, that's best served cold. You know, this is this is something that he has really thought through, and uh, it would appear that he's come across a situation. I think this sheep shearing thing is like some type of festival, so maybe folks' attention will be diverted uh, to the activities that are going on with that. Uh, and so, yeah, he's he's doing, uh, you know, this conversation. Uh, to uh, please let the king and his servants go with your son. I mean, this. I mean, he's got all this in planned out. I mean, I think that he probably would have anticipated the response that he got, uh, which would have set the stage for him then to use his uh, uh, his folks to uh, to carry out his wishes. Yeah, yeah. Do you think at this festival, when when he says, "Listen, you know, let the king and his servants go with your servant," and David's like, "No, no, no, we don't want to be a burden to you." And he pressed him, but he's like, no, 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 have fun, but I'm not coming. Do you think, and again, speculation here, but, you know, we're just reading the text, folks. Um, do you think maybe he had something planned for David, too? Certainly his anger was a little bit toward David, and we know it's toward David later. But even this early on, it's toward David because David took no action to to uh, defend or punish, defend either Tamar or punish Amnon. Yeah, uh, uh, that it's possible. Uh, I'm trying to think in my mind with all of these uh, uh, familial connections, uh, who would have been next in line uh, when Amnon is killed? Um, uh, so uh, would that uh, would that hasten uh, the ascension? Obviously, to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a point. Who knows? I mean, it's certainly not uh, uh, unusual for there to be plotting and scheming to take out more than one person in a line of secession in order to uh, hasten <laughs> a one secession uh, or a session to the secession to the throne. So, nevertheless, yeah, that could be. I don't. I don't. I didn't think of that that way uh, because I'm thinking of just as the lust brooded for so many so much time here we've got this revenge and this uh this hatred and the evil's really festering and and i, I just wow two full years it says that that's that's deep that's deep it's, so uh yeah it's tearing him apart i'm sure just harboring that be. resentment and hatred uh, for what it's worth uh absalom is david's uh third son by maaka uh, or maak rather but uh yeah so 
we know that Absalom's going to eventually seek out the throne, but it makes you wonder what comes first, right? Sure, was it sure. David's yeah. uh, refusal to do anything about Amnon, or was it, uh, uh, you know, or was he always out to get David? We really, I guess, we don't know, but we'll see. But yeah, so he tells his men, yeah, w- once everything is happy, once things are going great, once he's merry in the heart, right? So he's when he's a little drunk, then go and kill him. And I love this part, though, because he says, don't be afraid, because I'm I'm the one commanding you to do it. This mm-hmm. do not fear um, I re- really probably, probably could be better translated, stop being afraid. And, and they're afraid because they're like, you're asking us to kill the firstborn son of King David. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. says, don't worry about it. You're just following orders. Um interesting defense and it makes me wonder if that's going to play out for them in the end well how does courage and valiance uh fit with cowardice and and this deceiving you know conniving planning plotting i mean be courageous be val yeah right where do these words fit in this whole process uh to me that's very interesting that choice of uh words or that translate you know courage and valiance i mean you're waiting for the guy to get drunk so you can off him and then run i mean how courageous and valiant is that but anyway well, it's a slide of it's a slide of hand that he's doing, right? He's saying, "Hey, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. I need you to kill this guy." And once they're worried about it, he says, "Don't worry about it. I'm commanding you, so that way you could alleviate your conscience. You're not going to be held guilty." And then, besides, when he tells them, "Be uh, courageous and valiant," then they're thinking in their head, "Well, by doing this, I must be being courageous and valiant." So yeah, I he's guess, just yeah. Man- he's manipulating them to do uh, what he's asked, and they do. They kill Amnon. And then all the other king's sons, you know, they hop up, they, they jump in their cars and they peel out, right? They, yep, they hop yep. on each his his mule, which is uh, the kingly way in Israel anyway, that the royal family would have would have transported themselves. But the word fled there means they're afraid. They, they, they don't want to be killed. Which is why yeah, it makes often, me wonder if David was also a target. Sorry, go ahead. It, yeah, well, no, it could have been. And, and I'm going back to the two years, too. I mean, who's to say that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, if, uh, if, uh, if, if this plot was kept close to the uh, vest, if you will, um, Absalom's keeping his plans close to his vest, then these folks maybe wouldn't have been aware of the fact that it's been going on for a long time. And, and uh, he certainly has an out. Uh, well, it was two years ago when this event happened with Tamar, I don't have anything to do with This is a band of rogue renegades that's out doing I mean, he could easily hang these guys out to dry if he wanted to uh, without any problem. Well, let's sleep on reading the text because we're running out of time, but that's okay. So here we go, verse 30. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's son, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments but Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. Just the last couple of minutes here in the program, we're not going to get all the way to Amnah fleeing to Geshur, but anything else you want the folks to know about this or anything else that we've talked about today? 
Well, no, I mean, it's not uncommon for a tragic event to occur and there be information misreported. Uh, you know, in the flurry, again, I think this was some type of celebration or something. Lots of people, there's wine, people are drinking, and then all of a sudden somebody gets killed and everybody's running and the stories fly. So, you know, uh, news came that Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. I mean, that would not be un, uh, unusual in my mind, given the, 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 the uh, confusion that would have ensued uh, such an event. So, uh, so that doesn't surprise me. We get news reports all the time initially on tragedies that, that really, uh, I mean, a tragedy is a tragedy, but sometimes the numbers have to be adjusted, things like that. So, so that's even, uh, I didn't see that to be uh, unrealistic, but, uh, but yeah, David's response, and now he's, he's upset with this, and uh, he could have actually prevented it, you know, perhaps. We'll never know. Yeah, we'll never know, but we will know what happens next, but you're going to have to wait for tomorrow to find out. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Glenn Roseman. He's the pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Franklin, North Carolina. Brother, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, and God's blessings. Excellent. Can't wait to have you on again. Folks, tomorrow when we come back together, David's son Absalom, I just told you, fled to Geshur, and he's been banished after killing his half-brother Amnon for his assault on their sister Tamar. Despite Absalom's now aspirations for the crown, David is still distraught that his son is gone. Meanwhile, Joab, the commander of the armies, is employing a mysterious woman from Tekoa to weave a sad tale of family betrayal to entice King David into reconciling with Absalom. Interesting. David's going to be forced to confront his past and seek reconciliation, but how will all of that go? And will God bless or condemn the actions of all of these folks? Well, folks, we're going to find out tomorrow when we come together again. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.